Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Tower clear. Welcome to Space 3D. Two well-respected aerospace organizations had experience making high-altitude pressure suits, but only a couple of engineers from a relatively unknown company known as ILC Dover had set their sights on developing a true spacesuit with high mobility for the Apollo program. In his book, Lunar Outfitters Making the Apollo Spacesuit, Bill Avery tells the people story of ILC and documents the technical details of the various models of the Apollo suit, including pre-Apollo suits. Bill retired from ILC in May of 2019 after 41 years of service. He was responsible for managing the test laboratories for the company where the spacesuits made for the space shuttle and then the International Space Station were tested prior to delivery. He also represented the company as their historian. Join co-hosts Tom Hill and me, Eleanor Rangers, for the conclusion of our interview with Bill Avery. In this episode, we'll hear about Bill's experiences with trying on pressure suits over the years, including a certain Apollo astronaut's training suit. We'll also learn about ILC Dover's ongoing work with the Air Force to produce aerostats. And finally, we'll conclude with some reassurance from Bill that the ILC historical archives of the Apollo suits will be in good hands for perpetuity. Now, you've, uh, you've had a chance, I'm sure, to get into some of these suits. And I think you may even have gotten into Gene Cernan's uh, EVA suit. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I did. Uh, um, I I throw out a number because when I left there, I, I added it up real quick from a log that I had. And I think I had like close to 170 hours of pressurized time in, in spacesuits. Um, most, all of that really being the uh, the space shuttle and space station suit. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, I've got a lot of hours in the suit. Uh, but best day of my life being at work there in a suit was in Gene Cernan's suit. We were doing a, an eye suit was what we called it. It was a, an advanced suit. NASA gave us some money to study it. It was like the, it was in about 1998, 99. We were doing some development work on like a next generation suit. We were looking at smaller components to put in the suit, different uh, fiberglass parts to make it better fitting. And uh, so we came up with this eye suit and it had very good mobility and it can work at a higher pressure. So uh, at the time we, and also NASA, folks at NASA were interested in knowing how this compared to a, uh, an Apollo suit because, of course, the space shuttle and space station suit are zero-gravity type suits. So, you know, your lower torso, you're just making a, a brief and pants assembly. It's just going to have a place for your lower torso. It, it's not a walking suit. So the only walking suit we ever really did that the history of NASA has is with the Apollo suit. So they sent up uh, an Apollo suit for us to compare with the uh, eye suit that we had built. And lo and behold, it came into my lab, and I we opened it up and looked at it, and it was Gene Cernan's old training suit or backup suit, one or the other. And I was able to um, get in it, and it fit me pretty well. Pressurizable, NASA made sure that in their um, advanced suit development labs, they, they kept the suit working and uh, able to be pressurized. So I was able to get in it and actually pressurize it and work in it, and it was really uh, very fascinating 
for me to get in that suit, not only because of the history of it, and, and Gene Cern was one of my favorite astronauts. And in fact, I saw him a month or two later and I, he had a book out at the time and I was at Smithsonian and had him sign it. And I had a, a minute to chat with him and thanked him for signing a, a picture that, of me in his suit. And he said, yeah, what were you doing in my suit anyway? <laughs> so, and I told him, he, he was fascinated by that. He said, wow. He said, I didn't know they were still using that suit. I said, yeah. And I said, we were just using it to compare it against the next generation suit. And uh, he thought that was really pretty cool. And I'd like to say, Gene was a really neat guy, but that was fascinating to get in, in an Apollo suit. And uh, uh, I appreciated the, the, the shoulders were, were somewhat difficult to work in. It was state of the art at the time. There was metal cables in the suit that held it together structurally and, and again, state of the art. And Gene Cernan even said that it was the, the best suit they had at the time. And he gave a lot of praise to that suit. Whereas others, uh, you know, they were like, oh, it really, it, it bothered me. The gloves were, Harrison Schmidt didn't like those gloves at all. And, but he was a scientist, the, the astronaut scientist, who really had to do a lot of critical work with his hands, working with the, you know, gathering rocks up and, and studying things. And so, no doubt it wore him out. And so he wasn't wrong in saying it was really difficult to work in. But, but again, like say Gene Cernan, he was like, yeah, it might've been, but it was state of the art time and we got our jobs done. Nothing suffered because of it. Pretty much exactly Gene Cernan's size then to fit into that suit. Yeah. I, you know, he seemed, I thought he was taller than me, but I have to say it fit me pretty good. Now there are some uh, slight sizing adjustments you can make to the suit. And when it came up to ILC, I, I don't recall doing any sizing adjustments, so I think it was already sized. And when I got in, it fit me. So someone probably had pulled down on the ankle adjustments. There's uh, lacing cords down there and made it fit better. But I didn't have any trouble at all. The neck ring was right in the right position, and everything sort of worked. So <laughs> it was good. Wow. Um, I actually have just one other major question, and this is not even related to the spacesuits, but – um, not sure if I, I read this correctly, but when you joined ILC, you were originally working on a project uh, on airships. Are, I mean, dirigibles? Was ILC involved with that at all? Yeah. You know, <clears throat> ILC put all their eggs in one basket with the Apollo program. And when things started winding down, I think they got a little nervous. So they started branching out a little bit. And one of the fields they got into, because again, well, George Durney, who again was the father of the Apollo spacesuit, as I call him, he was a little rough around the edges and they kind of isolated him from the customer and eventually worked him out of there, out of the spacesuit uh, Apollo part of it. And they were trying to get into other business. And the Air Force at the time was looking for uh, uh, airships that were uh, called aerostats and they're tethered aerostats, that, airships that'll go up to maybe 10,000 feet and have radar underneath uh, in a big, uh, uh, like a, a big um, uh, windscreen underneath of it. And so it's protected. But they could use this radar to look down on uh, Cuba, let's say, or um, on the Mexican border, which is where they're still using them today. And so ILC got in that business, and we were really successful with it to the point that to this day, they're still building airships for the uh, Homeland Security, and they're 420,000 cubic feet. So we're talking something really large in size. And so when I started working there, again, I was just trying to save some money to go to college, and I was uh, working on that product line. And I ended up, I wrote a lot of the work instructions on how to build those things. And, and when I retired, I was um, a backup to go out and do the field inspections on them. So you'd get in a big lift and go up to about 150 feet to get up to over the top of them to do inspections on them. And 
And it was pretty fascinating. It was all along the border of Mexico. So you'd be there at uh, five or four in the morning up in this lift, uh, 150 feet up with the sun coming up over the mountains. And uh, it was just it was spectacular. I really enjoyed that job. But yeah, that was a big part of their business uh, when the, uh, the space suit, the Apollo uh, contract ended. And before they picked back up on a space shuttle, the, 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 the air, airship business helped them a lot, the air stats. And it still still does that today. They build the, the envelopes for the uh, Goodyear blimps now. So that's a rigid structure, whereas before they were just uh, Goodyear did all that work. But we've done a lot of work commercially with airships over the years. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and one more question. Um, you know, you've mentioned so many times you've had, you know, you had the opportunity for your book to interview some of the original engineers, seamstresses, and so forth, and that you were able to retain a lot of the paperwork. Thank goodness. I'm assuming that's still intact. Is uh, Do you have plans or does ILC have plans to digitize any of that for perpetuity? I'm always so concerned about this, you know, and making sure that we just don't lose this to, you know, the sands of time. <laughs> Well, that's right. And, and as the formal hist- former historian of the company, and I still, you know, if they come to me, I'm still the historian. But I, be, being that I wear that hat and I've been working with the Smithsonian, I, I find it very important to keep this, this, the material that I have. So I am uh, eventually going to give this to the Smithsonian. They've asked me to uh, give them a good um, synopsis, a rundown of what I have as far as the files go. Because they have quite a procedure for getting it in. You don't just, like, box it up and ship it to them. They have to get it through an approval process, which is just a formality. They definitely are very excited about getting this stuff. Um, so, But it has to go through them. Then it has to go into an archive over there. And So there's a lot of work. I found as much as I love the Smithsonian, as much as good as they do, which is a tremendous amount of good, there's still uh, at times a government bureaucracy, which is uh, slow to respond and they're tough to work with at times, but the goal is definitely they're excited about getting it. I'm excited about getting it out of my house because it's taken up a lot of room and I'm pretty much done with it now that I've written this book. And I, I almost feel like that guardian of this stuff that doesn't want to be responsible for it if anything were to happen. So I definitely want it out of here. And the other thing, too, is I want to make sure that it goes somewhere where it can be digitized and, and have it in, in the correct kind of a program, which is probably by today's standards using technology, they, they can do a better job because for instance, when I was doing the writing the book, I had, let's say a status report from a certain week in 1968 when they were having problems with the suit. And on that status report for that week, it might've been two or three pages and it might've been a problem with the helmet they were working on uh, followed by the next day they were working on a glove issue. And this was all in this one document. So as I was trying to figure out uh, how to research things, like I was working on a chapter on the gloves, let's say, I had to know that I had to go, it was impossible to go to that status report because I didn't have time to, t- I have thousands and thousands of files here. So it was impossible for me to take every file and say in this particular three-page document, it deals with helmets and um, gloves and and the, the rubber problem that they were having at the time or the zipper problem. And I had to decipher all that. So when it gets over there, I think they'll have the technology and the people resources to try to pull and categorize everything. And if I can help them with that, I'd be thrilled to do it. Yeah. Get into some sort of cross-reference. That would be a nightmare. Absolutely. And and that's what, it needs a good cross-reference. 
This was fantastic. And of course, you've written a book about this, which is entitled Lunar Outfitters Making the Apollo Spacesuit. Great read, by the way. So some of that was used to prepare for chatting this evening. Definitely highly recommend it. But uh, this was delight. It's always wonderful to be able to hear these, uh, you know, firsthand stories. Very unique history. And and to know that uh, fortunately this history is in good hands. It'll be going to the Smithsonian. You've been able to document this, you know, in the book. Um, so it will, uh, it certainly will not be lost to the sands of time. <laughs> no, it won't. No. Well, thank you for the plug there. I appreciate that. I, I hope, uh, you know, it's not the perfect book, but there's really nothing else out there on the Apollo suit. And, and uh, if I get a chance to do a next, um, to update this a little bit, there's other things I want to add to it, but um, I'm happy with it. And I, I just, I want to preserve that history. That's the most important thing to me. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join us soon for a fascinating interview with Rich Overbeck, regaling us with his experiences wintering over at the ultimate extreme environment, the South Pole. For Emily Carney and Tom Hill, this is Eleanor Rangers for Space 3D.